Welcome to the 16th episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. We're launching this podcast to highlight the stories of everyday community leaders who break down barriers to entry for underserved and underrepresented entrepreneurs. Today, we'll be speaking with Meg Stoyer. Meg is the manager of Forge North, an initiative of Greater MSP. Welcome, Meg. Thanks, David. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for joining the show. Let me start by first asking you about your work and a little bit about your organization. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Meg Stoyer, and I'm the Forge North Manager at Greater MSP here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So I come from a background of both nonprofit and small business support and happened to land here about three years ago in Minneapolis, St. Paul and got connected with Twin Cities Startup Week. And that was back in 2016 now, which seems like a long time ago. But Forge North um, sort of spawned out of Twin Cities Startup Week, out of a lot of the entrepreneurial efforts we were seeing in our community as a way to work together and work on bigger and better things to dream bigger um, as a community. And so we were really built as a platform for community partners and um, ecosystem practitioners to work together on big, bold projects. And so my role is really as a convener here in our community, um, as a platform operator to create space for our partners to work together. We have three big goals that we'll be focused on over the next three years. One of those is around early stage capital. One of those is around enterprise participation here in Minneapolis. St. Paul, we have the most Fortune 500 companies per capita of anywhere in the United States. And so wanting to make sure that those folks are meaningfully engaged in our startup community. And then our third goal is around racial equity. So as we have lived through uh, a global pandemic, uh, you know, economic downturn, and a lot of civil unrest this year, Minneapolis St. Paul has been at the heart of a lot of that um, with the murder of George Floyd. And so um, earlier this year, actually in February, we had set a racial equity goal and following the events of this year, it's become more important than ever uh, for our community to step up and to be focused on ensuring that the demographics of our startups and of our scaling startups and successful startups are mirroring our uh, demographics of, of our state. And so a lot of really great work happening. And um, we also have been partnering with Startup Space for about two years now, which David, that's crazy to say that it's been, I think, I think coming up on two years um, to operate a resource compass, a community calendar, and creating a lot of that connectivity in our community. Absolutely. I remember presenting at the 1 Million Cups at the James J. Hill Center and meeting you for the first time. And yeah, it's going to be two years. Uh, it's been a remarkable journey uh, bringing the ecosystem together. So my question to you is, what gives you the motivation to wake up every morning and do this incredibly difficult and sometimes not recognized job of ecosystem building? That's a great question. And I think at the core of it for me is supporting the community that's been built to support our community. And I'll, I'll break that down, I guess, a little bit. But I get to work with such incredible people many of whom are working alone or on very small teams to support really big numbers of entrepreneurs. And so I look at all of our community organizations and three years ago, five years ago, most of those folks were working in isolation. And so as we talk about, you know, creating a thriving and successful startup community, a lot of that comes from direct support to entrepreneurs, but that's not really my role. I'm really here to support 
the, the startup supporters and the entrepreneurial support organizations and the investors and the corporate innovators. And so I wake up every morning really excited and really honored and humbled to be able to create space um, for those folks to work together. And I think what we've seen over the last three to five years is that the trust we've built by creating that space is leading to really incredible outcomes, but that doesn't happen overnight. So sometimes I have to remind myself, you know, in getting up in the morning that this work is not short-term work. We're not looking to create this change, you know, by tomorrow or by next week, but this is really, you know, laying the groundwork for long-term systems change in our community. And I'm really proud to be supporting the community that's been built to support entrepreneurs in our region. Let's talk about that infrastructure that you're working on. What are some challenges that you faced in building this infrastructure, specifically focused on underserved or underrepresented entrepreneurs? And what are some on-ramps that you have found to work really well uh, supporting these entrepreneurs? Yeah, that's a great question. And when I first um, started here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, I think we had a few larger initiatives. So we had the Minnesota Cup, which is the largest statewide business plan competition. We had Ministar, which is a really incredible community of technologists. And then we had Twin Cities Startup Week. And so we had these sort of core tenants or, or infrastructure of our community where folks were finding that on-ramp into the community. But the problem was those, those events, I guess we could call them, were all isolated to a certain period of time. So if you came into our community the day after Twin Cities Startup Week ended, folks didn't really know where to connect you. There, was, there wasn't a lot of that connective tissue. Things were happening in silos. And we're really lucky here in Minneapolis-St. Paul to have a number of sectors of strength. And so what we often see is that early on in our sort of entrepreneurial community building, that created a lot of silos because there was things happening in food and agriculture. There were things happening in medical technology. There were things happening in enterprise tech. And you saw folks sort of gathering in those sector silos. And I think what we've done is really broken that down to say, it's important that we um, sort of crash the networks and we um, allow folks to operate across our sectors of strength and also between our sectors of strength, sort of at the intersection of some of that innovation. And I think that's really where we see um, big change and, and big progress in our community. And so I think as we've looked to build infrastructure, we've had to think about what are we doing sort of across those sectors of strength across industries here, um, and also think about stage. And so I think what we see here is that for our later stage companies, there's a lot of support um, in that your corporate customers are here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, but as we go sort of backwards from there, um, there are some really big gaps in our community. And so we see in the really early idea stage that for a long time, there wasn't a great on-ramp. You know, you sort of had to go attend an event or, or try to find your way into the community. And what we've seen now is a lot of our co-working spaces step up, a lot of national programming like co-starters or seed spot coming to our community to offer that really early stage on-ramp. And that's been incredibly helpful to our community in really looking at where are those gaps. And so we had that early stage gap. And then we see a later stage gap sort of right as folks are looking at what we would traditionally call like a 
seed stage um, sort of fundraising round where we see another need for support and where we've seen incredible help in that area is with our accelerator program. So actually having dedicated programs built to support people as they look for that first round of funding, as they look to that first sort of big um, step in scaling. And as you talk about, you know, traditionally underestimated founders, we have a really incredible partner in Lunar Startups here in our community. And so they're getting ready to launch applications for their fourth cohort. So they've been around for three years now and they're, um, solely focused on creating a new model of business acceleration, a new accelerator model to serve uh, founders that identify as Black, Brown, Indigenous, people of color, LGBTQ, and women. And so what they've done is actually create a year-long accelerator program to provide a different on-ramp for folks that can't potentially take off um, of work or um, need to continue to uh, provide childcare or care to a family member. And so they can't take off, you know, a full 13 weeks to be dedicated to what we would call, I think, our traditional accelerator model. And so all across our industries and stages of startups, we're seeing these new models to support startups in different ways and to get really authentic and intentional about how we're providing that support. And so I think um, as we look to the future, we're continuing to see not only more services built squarely to support uh, traditionally underestimated founders, but also all of our entrepreneurial support organizations doing better to build their capacity to serve um, a variety or all entrepreneurs through their programming. I love it. It's it's a lot of great uh, set of resources for small businesses. I'm going to ask you for a couple examples of small businesses or startups that are uh, underrepresented entrepreneurs that have uh, kind of broken through the barrier and have made it, so to say, uh, in in your community. And while you're coming up with those examples, I'll just say that two things uh, struck me as you were talking about helping with on-ramps. One is startup space and the partnership that we've had with you that helps with identifying resources specifically for underrepresented entrepreneurs. Because when you say that there is a resource for everyone, it immediately excludes the entrepreneurs that you're trying to serve. And so you have to be very intentional about inclusivity and you have to actually highlight that. And you've done that tremendously well. And now that data sits on your platform and gives easy access to entrepreneurs that are looking for resources, especially these uh, underrepresented uh, entrepreneurs. That's one. And then second, the ability to find connection points while you cannot make it to that local meetup or cannot make it to that workshop because uh, you have an, a dependent at home or have to go to work to earn a living, that access is also made simple and easier through the work Startup Space is doing with Greater MSP and Forge North uh, in Minnesota. So I just wanted to highlight those, but I'd love to ask you, can you share a couple success stories? I know there's uh, a lot of great stories coming out of your community, but I'd love our practitioners to hear about some of the success stories that came about as a result of the on-ramps that you've built in your community. Yeah, most definitely. And, and I'll just highlight, you know, as you talk about 
the tagging we've done for those resources for, for underestimated founders in the startup space platform, I have to give a lot of credit to our leadership council sort of across the board in our work for putting our focus squarely on racial equity. And so um, we are led by a leadership council of 13 really incredible individuals that represent uh, sort of every audience across our startup community. So investors, corporate partners, entrepreneurs themselves, ecosystem development folks. And so when we were talking about our goals, it was a really intentional choice to focus our equity goals specifically on racial equity. And so as, as you talk about, when we say something is for all, sometimes that actually is very exclusive in that it excludes a certain population that may need different um, services or different types of access. And so when we were discussing our goals around equity, there was conversation about what what type of diversity, what type of inclusion, what type of equity are we talking about? And here in Minnesota, we have some of the largest racial disparities in the country. And so it was a really intentional choice for us to say, we need to focus on racial equity because it's where we have the most work to do. And so it's not to say that we are not supportive of you know, services for female entrepreneurs or LGBT community, but that here in Minnesota, the racial issue is really one where we need to focus and spend our time. And so I appreciate that call out, David, of the work that we're doing there. And we've been incredibly um, honored to be working with Startup Space to do that because I think it's not always easy to create that delineation and to create a more clear pathway for folks to um, enter the startup community. But I think we're on the right track in that we're placing a really concerted and focused effort um, in this area. So um, it's been great to work with you and, and appreciate you sort of pulling and, and calling that out. Thank you. And, and I echo the sentiment. And so diving into success stories, there are so many of them. And so it's um, hard to pick just one or two, but I think um, I'll highlight Anila Kumar, who is the um, founder of Habit Aware. And I think she's a really incredible story because she and her family moved here um, and really chose to grow their business in Minnesota because of the lifestyle it afforded them. And so I think as we talk about access and opportunity, we sometimes look at the capital investment numbers and the true sort of business case um, that can be made for starting a business in one place over the other. But sometimes we forget to think about the lifestyle that you have. And here in the region, we have access to parks and you know a, a great education system and a lot of things that um, are really of benefit when you're starting a company and want to find some of that, that balance. And I think in all the conversations I've had with Anila, she really talks about that balance and that being a big part of why they wanted to start their company and grow their company here. And now that's not to say there's not a business case. I mean, there's also wonderful advantages um, to be here. But Anila um, was able to take advantage of so many of our local programs. And I can point to many interviews and articles that she's mentioned so many of the folks and given credit to our local community for supporting her um, in the growth of her company. And so she was a winner in our Minnesota Cup competition. She's taken part in a variety of local accelerator programs. She's been supported by our High Tech Association in receiving um, National Health Institute SBIR STTR funding. And so we've really seen her as she's scaled move through our community in leveraging a variety of resources that exist. And I think it's such a great example when you look at her journey that 
resources don't only need to exist at the start of your journey or at the end of the journey, they need to exist throughout your journey. And so I think what we see here is that because we're building a more connected community, because we're breaking down those silos and really ensuring that our entrepreneurial support organizations are connected to one another and know one another, we're seeing folks get connected better and I'll say more efficiently along their journey. So instead of taking 10 coffee meetings to find the right next step, the right person to talk to, the right program to apply for, we're maybe seeing that happen in two to three steps. And that could be because someone's going online to the resource compass and finding a resource on that on their own. Or it could be that they're talking to the program director of the program they're currently participating in and getting a direct recommendation to sort of what is the next step. And we've heard from our community practitioners that that's been such an important part of our process and of our journey as a community is really understanding what everyone's lane is. And it's not to say we can't all be supporting entrepreneurs at any stage in their journey, but when we understand um, you know, beta is for tech entrepreneurs, typically at the pre-seed or seed stage. That's incredible to understand that because it allows us to more quickly and more accurately um, assess where folks need to go in the community for support. And so I think we've really seen that changing. And I think Anil is a great example of someone that's been able to sort of leverage that system and our, our understanding of what resources she needed in our community at what time in her journey. And so we've seen in the last um, two years now, um, Anila came uh, out with a second version of their Keen bracelet. And so it's a, a really incredible technology. We've seen her get additional um, NIH funding to continue their research. We've seen them um, receive an award from Times as a best invention in 2018. And I think it's a real testament to our community and the support we provide. She's also received funding from Backstage Capital as their one of their first 100 investments. And so for everyone that knows Backstage Capital and Arlen Hamilton, it's great to see that national presence supportive of some of our local startups. So I think um, as, as many great examples as there are of founders that have really taken advantage of our community, um, Anila is, is one of those. That's wonderful. I'm going to go back to one topic that we had just started talking about, and I want to get some more of your thoughts on this, which is uh, this, the topic of racial equity. George Floyd's death, unfortunate as it was, it kind of brought back to both the national stage and to the the stage in Minnesota, the conversation around racial equity. And across the entire spectrum we've had these conversations, but I want to focus on just the small business community. What has George Floyd's death done to elevate the conversation and probably bring back into focus the right kind of conversations we need to be having, which in spite of how diverse Minnesota is, I feel like there were, uh, there were structural challenges that still needed to be addressed and probably will still need to be addressed going forward. But has there been some meaningful movement in making small business and startup uh, resources more uh, equitable? Yeah, and I, I think it's a, a such a great question. And to your point, you, you never want to be living through something like this. You don't want to have someone's death cause us all to reflect in a way that creates this type of action. But at the end of the day, 
it, it may have been needed. You know, we needed, I think, here locally to get real about the inequities that exist in our community. And I don't know how we would have done that without sort of a, a really big event in our community that caused us all to um, not be able to turn away. And I think um, as a white ally in our community, that's been really important for me to sort of assess and, and really do some of my own work on my privilege and, and the ways in which I have perpetuated, you know, systemic racism in, in a variety of areas of, of my life. And so I think as we look at what's happened in our community, it's been so incredible to see people coming together to leverage this um, moment. And I think a lot of us say, you know, we hope it's a, a movement, not a moment. And so we hope that this momentum is not lost. And so in a corporate community, we've seen a lot of that early on coming through pledges or other sort of promises. And then sort of throughout the course of the year, we've seen that turn into commitments of dollars and really action taken. And that's been a, a really positive thing to see, but it can't stop there. And so as we look at our work, I think we're seeing a wide variety of ways to move forward. Um, and as I mentioned before, I think that comes in two ways. One way is sort of those organizations and those efforts that are squarely focused on racial equity. And so um, whether that be sort of advocacy, activism, or some of our, our local organizations that are squarely focused on supporting um, our black and brown communities, they're doing really important and really incredible work. But for organizations that aren't squarely focused on racial equity in their work, I think what we're seeing is that we need to learn how to build that capacity within our organizations, build that capacity within ourselves to be anti-racist, to in all of our work, regardless of if our work is anti-racism work, to consciously have at the front of our mind the systems and the inequities that exist and be thinking about how we can break them down. And so it's it's fitting that, you know, this podcast is called Breaking Down Barriers. And I think for a lot of us, we need to be thinking about how we do that in, in so many ways. And so in our community, um, like I said, we've seen some big commitments and I don't think necessarily we, we've seen all of the execution on those commitments yet. And so um, in a lot of ways, it's been incredible to see, but we are also living through a pandemic. And so I think that for a lot of our local communities, we're living through a dual or a triple pandemic in that there's really a layering of impact. And so as we talk about small business support and we look at the numbers in terms of you know PPP loans and other support systems that have been um, created throughout the past I'll call it year now. It's it's really been only eight months, but it, it's we're getting up on a year. Um, I think we see that um, the systems are still failing many people in our communities. And so you look at you know PPP funding, and it's really apparent when you look at the numbers that Black and Brown founders received significantly less money than white founders. And so even as we're creating stimulus or recovery type programs they are disproportionately serving um, some individuals. And so I think um, a really great example that we have here in our local community, and I'll point back to Lunar Startups, 100% of the Lunar Startups founders who applied for PPP funding received that funding. And I think it's a testament to 
when you build an intentional network of support, stuff starts to change. And so the founders in the Lunar Network were able to leverage the Lunar Expert Network, the support of the Lunar staff, the support of their other founders in that network. And by leveraging all of those different assets, they were significantly more successful in receiving PPP funding. And so my hope is that with the commitment of our corporate partners, with the commitment of our philanthropy partners, um, we are very philanthropic in Minnesota. We give at some of the highest rates in the country. With all of those commitments, I'm hoping we will see really intentional development of structures and systems that are built to support um, our under underestimated communities um, or our communities of color. And I think that's not easy work. And so again, I, I think some of us are struggling with wanting more change to come more quickly. And I think a lot of that is, again, sort of choosing a lane. And and one of our partners um, constantly sort of says, you, you have to pick a lane and that may be an industry, that may be a stage. It also may be a time frame. And so for a lot of our partners, they're picking um, and, and making a really uh, strategic decision are we serving the immediate needs of our founders? Are we doing triage in supporting founders who are going through it right now? Or are we working behind the scenes to change the systems, to do the long-term work, to build the new infrastructure, to create new funding mechanisms? And you can't really do both of those things at the same time and do them both well. And so I give a lot of credit to our partners who are thinking about those things, who are getting really honest about what it is they want to work on and who it is they want to serve. And so I'm hopeful that this will be a movement and this will not just be a moment in time. And I think as Minnesotans, we have always had these inequities. I mean, if you look at the lists year over year over year, um, we rate, you know, number one or number two in education. But in terms of the uh, disparities in educational attainment, we rate 48, 49, or 50. And so I think what we're seeing is a reckoning moment of that things have always been really good in Minnesota, but they've been really good only for some people. And so the disparities, I think, are what we really need to focus on as we move forward to say, we can't hang our hat on it being good if it's only good for some parts of our community. So I think a lot of work to still do, but we're seeing a lot of really incredible things. And I think as we look at, you know, that short-term immediate sort of triage support, um, I'll call out the Coven as another really incredible organization this year that stepped up and provided drop-off for supplies for families and turned their co-working facility into a community space to um, gather and activate. And so I just think it's been really incredible to see that our startup community does not only exist to support entrepreneurs, but they exist to support problem solvers and communities. And so I think a lot of good things to come, um, but still a lot of work to do here. Wow. Fascinating, Meg. We got to bring you back in six months to kind of hear how some of these initiatives have kind of taken hold in the community. I'm going to ask you about, uh, this is a question specifically for uh, ecosystem practitioners. And uh, we have a lot of people uh, who are entering the field of ecosystem building. So I want to ask you, what is the one advice you'll give them knowing that 
ecosystem building is not measured in months or years, but in some cases in decades. And uh, we brought Victor on the show and we brought several other uh, thought leaders and they have mentioned that they started this work 15, 20 years back and now they're starting to see some movement, right? So we we get that. But what are some uh, early missteps that you made that you're willing to share with, the, with our listeners so that they can avoid those missteps as they come into ecosystem building? Yeah, and such a great sort of introduction to that idea that this truly is really long-term work. And I think as you talk about missteps, um, for those that know me, I'm a real operations-focused person, and I think what I've had to balance um, and, and recognize throughout the course of my role in, in helping to build Forge North is that it really is all about trust. And so I think a lot of times um, in these ecosystem building networks, we talk about sort of progress moving at the speed of trust, but it's so true that I look back now over the last three years or four years, and so much of what we're accomplishing today is because we sat and had breakfast three years ago, or we met and got coffee. And so those small convenings of passionate people dedicated to creating change, I can't overstate how important they are. And I think sometimes um, as we as we stand up um, initiatives like Forge North, whether it be a coalition or an organization or a new fund, whatever it may be in a local community, I think oftentimes we are funded in ways that we're looking for quick wins. If you have a 12-month grant cycle, you're looking for wins in 12 months. And so I think oftentimes that leads us to look at the quick execution or like what project can we work on right now? And while we early on did projects together, we also spent a lot of time convening, building trust, getting to know one another doing research, understanding the issues of our local community, not just saying anecdotally, we hear this, so let's run with it. We did surveys and we did interviews. And so I really think that that is the number one thing for me is focusing on the true community building, the trust building. And a lot of times that means finding some allies in your community because for a lot of folks working in ecosystem building roles you know as i think through the list of folks i know both locally and nationally there aren't many people working on teams bigger than three to five and so when you look at the support you need to do this work you cannot do this work alone and so as you're building that trust and community you also need to find sort of your team of people to support you in that journey because this is isolating work, it's hard work, it's emotional work. And so I think our community, and and this looks different, I think in every community, but in our community, those coffee conversations three years ago, those breakfasts and happy hours have turned into weekly meetings of our entrepreneurial ecosystem builders. And sometimes that is a share out of best practices. Sometimes that's a share out on what a specific organization is doing and how we can support them. Sometimes that's us bringing in a national partner. So early on in COVID, we brought on the SBA multiple times to talk through How are folks applying for PPP? What does this look like? And really disseminating information in the fastest way possible and in having everyone together. But oftentimes it's a therapy session. 
or a support group. And it's a place to say, hey, I'm struggling with this and I don't really know who to turn to. Or, hey, I'm now a caretaker to my kids and potentially other family members. I'm working from home. I'm trying to provide education to my young kids. I'm trying to run my business. All of these things are happening to me. And I don't necessarily have a professional network the way others have a professional network where you may have a bigger team, you work at a large corporation, or you have a larger peer set. And so here in our community, that's probably been one of the greatest things I've witnessed this year is our entrepreneurial support community stepping up to support entrepreneurs, but also stepping up to support one another. And so as I think about your earlier question about why I wake up in the morning as I and I talk about that community behind the community, that's really the community I'm talking about is this, these groups of folks that are coming together to support one another, knowing that if they aren't supported, they can't provide the best support to entrepreneurs. They can't put the founders first if they don't have that support network for themselves. And so we see that in, in other aspects of our community, we've started to convene a few other, um, what we call sort of peer groups or round tables. But I think that's really sort of the core of my advice is focused on trust and, and really find that community and team that can support you in your efforts. And for some folks, there might not be a local community. We're lucky to be in a larger metropolitan area. And so we have a lot of folks working in what we would deem ecosystem building. But I look at networks like eShip, networks like the Startup Champions Network as national places where you could also find that type of support if it doesn't exist as much in a local community. Wow, so much to digest here. Uh, I love this conversation, Meg. And that's why I feel like we need to have these conversations more frequently so that our practitioners can uh, learn from uh, from you and from the work that Forge North and Greater MSP are doing. So I will definitely have you back here. But for today, I would love to share with our listeners how they can uh, follow your work and how they can be more involved in the Minnesota ecosystem. Could you share the links to uh, to your uh, social media networks, et cetera. And then we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, most definitely. So we're at forgenorth.com and on all social, we are forgenorthmn. So forgenorth Minnesota abbreviation. Um, we're pretty active on Twitter, Instagram, trying to be more active on LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Um, also, if you want to sign up for our newsletter, that's a really great way. We're going to start to do sort of a better job at monthly updates moving forward. So um, a great opportunity there to just sort of keep in touch with, with our work and what we're doing. And then also in sort of some exciting news, we're starting an awareness campaign here in the metro region about how to get more engaged in our startup community. And so um, lots more to come in January of next year um, about how to get involved, what's happening in our community, and um, whether that be investing directly in startups, um, you know, supporting startups through mentorship or championing them through sponsorship or, you know, shopping local. We're really trying to build out um, a better understanding and a better way to share with folks how they can get involved regardless of um, their sort of role in the community at large. So more to come. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you again very soon. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, David.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Ponrosh. Special thanks to Meg Stoyer for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Dial Fritcher. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.